Mariah, I have students that have a 4.0 in every other topic except for organic chemistry. Mm-hmm. And and they're so frustrated because they work hard. They're brilliant. They yeah. try and they want this. They want to be a physician more than anything. And I was trying to figure out what was missing from their education. And when I realized that they're not unable to interpret the symbols that I was drawing on the whiteboard or presenting in some kind of presentation matter, Um, And that they were really just trying to memorize it to just try to get by because Mm. they they were not fluent. They were parroting things and not really seeing what I was seeing. And um, I went back to my son's music books from, I don't know, maybe second grade where he had Mozart, Mouse and Beethoven Bear. Mm. And that's how he learned how to play the piano. And I thought, that's it. When I looked at musical notes and I put my notes from my class right beside it, they looked identical. And if you gave a 19 year old um, for the very first time a sheet of music and said, read this. Oh, by the way, we're test getting a test on it in three days and you need an A to go to medical school. Go, you know, they're going to flounder. They're going to panic. They're going to say this is impossible because they have not been given the time to digest a symbolic language. Welcome to the Egg Gap Evolution Podcast. I'm your host, Mariah Phillips. You can call me Mariah because that's my name. And I'm thrilled to have you on this journey with me and all of the spectacular guests who jump on the podcast to give you more options for educating children so that children have more options for building a magnificent future. The Egg Gap Evolution Podcast is a digital community where parents, educators, and innovators drop the details on how they are using their lives to help children explore the vastness of education beyond the textbook so that we can close America's education gap together. In return for bringing you this show every week, we just ask that you always find a way to share and use what you learn on the podcast to enrich children and families everywhere. Alrighty, without further ado, come along with me to meet our very next guest. Let's get to know Dr. Kelly. Dr. Colleen Kelly is the creator of a chemistry comic book series, Kids Chemical Solutions, which has been featured on notable outlets like PBS. NPR and Good Morning Arizona, Dr. Kelly's comic books and unique imagination have turned the periodic table into a playground of chemical adventure and have allowed elementary school students to master concepts often taught on the college level. Dr. Kelly's journey as a chemist began at the University of Richmond, where she received her BS in chemistry before receiving her PhD in chemistry at the age of 24 Yes, just 24 from Penn State University. Today, Dr. Kelly is at the tail end of her career teaching chemistry in higher education and finds herself captivated, completely captivated by the question, why do my students think chemistry is so hard? In this episode, we're going to get to the bottom of that question. So Dr. Kelly, welcome. We're so grateful to be speaking to you. So I'm wondering, um, before we like jump into anything else, you know, you're 30 years into your chemistry career. That's a long time. Um, and, um, I'm just wondering, like, why do you like chemistry? Because the second I was at the, I was at dinner with somebody, um, the other day and she was getting, I think previously she was getting some sort of like science degree and she stopped because she literally said I couldn't pass organic chemistry. And it literally like flashed me back to you and I's first conversation. And I was like, oh my God. (laughs) This is what Dr. Kelly said. So why do you like chemistry? (laughs) I like chemistry because it speaks to me as a story. Um, I'm an avid reader. 
I love historical fiction, and I particularly love mysteries. And I found that same kind of joy from uncovering the clues left behind from different chemical reactions and figuring out what piece of the puzzle needs to go here to get to the next piece. And what are these clues telling me and where are they leading me? So for me, it has always been this magical story going on in my mind. There was no nothing else than just this. If it read like a good book to me, and it's really hard to explain. And I thought that was everyone's experience, and then I realized, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is definitely a closed book to some. <laughs> yeah. But that's interesting that you describe it like a discovery and clues and things working together because um, that's, you know, that's kind of how most of nature works. But that's not how, uh, at least when I was experiencing being taught chemistry, that's not how we were taught. We're taught very surface level versus, or, or you know, the general, you know, H2O, we get it. You know, most kids just like say, yes, we get it. And then we move on. And so... So you enjoy it for for that reason. And I'm wondering, what are some of the reasons why, because you've worked with quite a few children or families in the development of your chemistry book series. Could you share some of the reasons why children generally don't like chemistry? Like, have they expressed that to you? Or or even if not children, maybe college students? Right, right. I was going to say, I I haven't met any children who don't like chemistry because they really haven't been introduced to it yet. So all the kids I worked loved it immediately, worked with loved it immediately because um, of the stories that were so integrated into what they were learning. Um, But to to your point about college age students and high school students even, I think they've been told not to like it. Okay. It would be like um, reading a movie review and saying, this is the worst movie ever, but oh, by the way, here's a ticket and go. <laughs> Hope you can find a way to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. And so I I fear like that parents are propagating this, um, their terrible experience onto their children and telling them that it's going to be horrible. And by the way, we have zero expectations of you doing well. Like, it's this awful scenario, right? (laughs) (laughs) And then they come and meet me. I'm like, you guys can do this. And they've been told forever, you know, that they can't. Yeah. So I don't think it's been given a fair chance. And I don't think um, that's one reason. And I think the other reason then is... um, Fun stuff like storytelling hasn't been integrated really into the thread of the chemistry curriculum. And there's ways to make chemistry more accessible that will get them onboarded. And once they're onboarded, then we can, you know, the sky's the limit. We can really, you know, elevate the learning, but we need to get that onboarding ramp going. Got you. And, you know, when you say the onboard onboarding ramp going, you know, to get children or youth introduced to chemistry. That might be confusing to some parents because like you and I talked about previously, like there is this whole STEM boom right now when it comes to educating youth. Um, and you and I spoke, we uh, first spoke, you shared something that I found quite startling regarding today's STEM programs for youth. Um, for those listening, especially if your parents or educators, chances are 
you've seen these sorts of programs where elementary age students will participate in a project that allows them to maybe build a rocket ship model or, you know, learn about condensation and rain um, through a water bottle or experiment with gravity or robotics, all sorts of really cool stuff. Um, and parents and educators often provide these experiences to children with good intentions to prepare them for higher education and maybe for a, a career in STEM in the future. But Dr. Kelly, you mentioned that statistically, these methods of teaching children STEM aren't as effective as we'd like to believe. And I'm wondering, could you elaborate on that and how do you arrive at this discovery? Because for many of us, that is the ramp that we're putting children on to get them going. Right. Yeah. And I, I would say that on-ramp that you described um, leads to a, a ton of fun. And there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> like, that's awesome. Like, it's th these are great toys and great activities. Um, what they're lacking, though, are fundamental understanding. And so what they're not doing is they're not opening up the neural pathways that need to be opened so that a child has the imagination to understand what one molecule bumping into another molecule looks like in his or her mind. So while they're fun and they're demonstrative of scientific principles, the scientific principles are not being taught um, beneath those. So you may have a rocket and say, you know, that that went up because of energy and then leave it like that. So what I'm finding are these activities are actually very, very, very high level science. So the fundamentals are watered down so much that they're not really even taught. Mm -hmm. And what I'd like to do is, is shift that. Let, let's talk about science as learning music instead and talk about the neuroplasticity and the um uh, brain pathways that are required to interpret a symbol, a symbol and become fluent in that symbol, much like music. So I think the success in science at higher education is powered in the brain, not in the hands. And so we need to get those fundamentals down in students and have them be fluent in the language of chemistry. Um, and then maybe by the time they're ready to graduate from college, they can dissect what's going on when they're making elephant toothpaste. But, you know, the, the doing doesn't mean learning. And it's really unfortunate because a lot of those kits, um, well, again, they're super fun. They can be expensive. And some of them aren't all that environmentally friendly either. Um, I think if you want to do something, you're better off cooking. At least you can eat it. <laughs> <laughs> and you have a delicious treat afterwards. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there's um, many levels to think about when you're implementing those kind of things. You know what? They're consumable. They're not all that environmentally friendly. And they're not getting the, um, the fundamental concepts in the child's brain like you might expect that they are. Okay. Um, and so... Neuropathways and and um, neuroelasticity. For for those of us who may not be so familiar with those terms, could you kind of break it down? Like, why do we need to care about what does it mean for something to um, you know, be beneficial to neuropathways? What does that even mean as far as how a child develops? What 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 function does that have in the brain and and for a child learning? Great. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, this is something I stumbled upon and you touched on this in my introduction um, 
when, when I thought, why are these brilliant students? I, Mariah, I have students that have a 4.0 in every other topic except for organic chemistry. Mm-hmm. And, and they're so frustrated because they work hard. They're brilliant. They yeah. try and they want this. They want to be a physician more than anything. And I was trying to figure out what was missing from their education. And when I realized that they're not unable to interpret the symbols that I was drawing on the whiteboard or presenting in some kind of presentation matter, um, and that they were really just trying to memorize it to just try to get by because mm-hmm. they they were not fluent. They were parroting things and not really seeing what I was seeing. And um, I went back to my son's music books from, I don't know, maybe second grade where he had Mozart, Mouse, and Beethoven, Bear, mm-hmm. and that's how he learned how to play the piano. And I thought, that's it. When I looked at musical notes and I put my notes from my class right beside it, they looked identical. And if you gave a 19-year-old for the very first time a sheet of music and said, read this, oh, by the way, we're getting a test on it in three days and you need an A to go to medical school, go. You know, they're going to flounder. They're going to panic. They're going to say this is impossible because they have not been given the time to digest a symbolic language. So we know in music education, and we also know when learning a foreign language, that the best time for a child's brain to develop is the younger ages. And, you know, the anchoring younger age is, you know, probably six, seven, eight. And after that, it gets quite, it gets a little more difficult. And for any of us who've tried to learn music or foreign language in our 20s, 30s, 40s, or 50s, <laughs> you, you may have had an eight-year-old student beside you who's crushing it and say, right. huh, <laughs> what's going on? And it's just because they don't have all the other stuff in their brain to prohibit them from learning. That makes sense. I mean, because just like, you know, uh, kids are developing their personalities, uh, you know, a lot of their personality at that age. Um, like you said, that's the age where they're able to absorb a lot. I know for me, younger kids that I know, they're always asking about different words. What does this mean? And what does that mean? And that's when they're really, the age it seems that they're really, I'm gathering the building blocks for who they are and what they know as this being their first experience on planet earth, you know, consciously. So it would make sense that at this point um, for something like chemistry, where you're saying it really is a bit of a language and can be compared to music and music notes that if you can expose a kid to, like you're saying, the um, the underlying workings of something like gravity or, you know, of something like inertia, then they there's a higher chance that it'll become a part of them. They'll become fluent in it versus seeing it at 19 and being like, oh, Lord, <laughs> what am I going to do? Um, and so let's talk about your comic book series, Kids Chemical Solutions. Um, I, I'm going to drop the link to your PBS uh, video about it in the show notes for folks to look at because it's just so interesting. But um, when you realize that kids needed a more effective way to learn about chemistry and actually understand it, I'm wondering, like, why did you choose comic books? Like, did you consider other avenues for, like, getting this information across the across the kids before you arrived at comic books? Yes. Um, the comic books were an act of desperation <laughs> <laughs> when I've been trying to reach students for so many years. Um, and I always <laughs> defaulted to storytelling in my classroom. So um, my students know that I love um Shrek, for example. So I would always try to um, say, you know, how do we fix Gingy's leg that's been chopped off so that we can <laughs> get Gingy going again? 
So um, I would always put the chemical concepts in the context of some kind of story, whether it was um, an animated feature that I've just seen or and then I started making up my own stories to um, just kind of elevate things a little bit. So my students uh, encouraged me to write those. So I thought, this is great. I'll write these. I'll write it like as a textbook and all the publishers worldwide will want this and zero wanted it. <laughs> and, and then I found myself um, trying to figure out how can a child or a student autonomously learn this without parent intervention? And I realized dialogue's really important. So I, again, I started writing what I thought were children's stories around these, and they were very dialogue rich. And um, I'm not, I, I am now, but at the time I was not a writer um, or a comic book author. Mm -hmm. And I learned that when you're writing dialogue rich, the best format is a comic book format. So I had to just follow the lead of the industry and mm -hmm. landed happily upon a comic book format, which has worked, um, it has exceeded my expectations for how well that's received and also how well the concepts are learned. Okay, nice. Yeah, I thought um, for those who, if you go and watch the video that I dropped in the links about this series, I thought it was so interesting, Dr. Kelly, how, you know, you started off with the chemicals and their interactions um, and, the, and then you, worked with an artist like an, an actual artist and they went from turning like you know a chemical a image of like a I don't know an element into a walrus or you know an image of an element into something yeah. else and I just thought that was so cool because um like like you said chemistry is always introduced as that daunting thing um and I think that uh, you know the what you've done here with making it into a comic book is really a way and, and I will say, for those of us who are adults, it, it still might not be clicking for us. We still might be, if you don't like comic books, you might be saying, well, okay, well, I also don't like comic books. But we have to realize that this is for kids and like their level of interest in things is much different than ours. And I think it's always important, which is why I'm so excited about this series for us um, as innovators, as educators, um, to explore new ways to teach, uh, you know, maybe even ancient concepts. And I think that this book, and this this series is a great way to do that. Um, and you said that you weren't like, well, I'm wondering how you felt personally when you realized that you would have to become a writer, like you would have to really find a way to drive <laughs> this narrative home in a way that like was entertaining and made sense. Like what were some of the things you did to get yourself into like the groove of doing that? Did you like study some people or did you just jump right in and like see what folks thought? I've had quite a journey. Um, I went to a lot of workshops um, through Zoom and even in person um, where, with other children's book authors um, and was very humbled and have spent uh, many years actually in these different workshops and um, getting critiques of my writing. Um, I have a good friend here at the University of Arizona who teaches uh, children's literature and she's um, helped me along the way to find a voice. So I, I have thought, you know, I'm I'm a student at heart myself, and so I I learned as best I could, and then um, and then the stories the stories were always within me. I always knew the story, but it was just how do I write this? Like you know, there's you know something called an arc, and, and how do I get the arc? And 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 how is this going to flow? So I did. Um, I had to go back to the drawing board and was um, humbled quite a bit by. 
the number of rejection letters from different editors and publishers. <laughs> well, you know, it's all you got to get some rejections before you get some yeses and realize. And it's really refined it. You know, it seems like refined the series into something really great. Um, and so I'm wondering, because, you know, there are a lot of comic, like a lot of resources out here, whether it be comic books, whether it be video, there's a lot of resources for chemistry and science available to educators and students. We know that um, homeschooling or hybrid homeschooling is really a thing now um, that parents are really gravitating towards. And so that means there's like a whole bunch of competition out here about like what resources people should use. And like there are some places, and I'm not going to say unfortunate because it is what it is, but, you know, maybe some um, curriculums or names that have been around for 50 years and 60 years. And that's really like the go-to when parents think, oh my goodness, my kid is struggling academically. I need to get them help. Let me go to XYZ. And XYZ may no longer be the best solution <laughs> for like helping children. Because we, you know, parents, you all listening know, we children's upbringings now are different than before. You know, TikTok, um, YouTube shorts, they're very narrative driven. Like it's very narrative driven. What's the story happening here? What is you know, am I going to get excited at a certain point? If I'm not, then I'm clicking off of this in two seconds. Um, but I say all that to ask you, uh, Dr. Kelly, like for Kids Chemical Solutions, what signs of success can a parent or educator look for in their child to confirm that their um, child's chemistry knowledge is, is improving? Have you like tested the effectiveness of the series? I have tested it. Yeah. So um, there, there's kind of two points to um, what you were discussing. The, the first, if I can just backtrack a little bit, um, I'd like to address, you know, there is a lot of other stuff out there. And I'm the first person to come at it from what do they need it in higher education, right? I've, I've been in higher education for 30 years and see eight and 2023, 80% of um, underrepresented students are still failing organic chemistry. So why is that? Um, if all this stuff has been effective, <laughs> I wouldn't still be seeing that. And I've seen that in my entire career. Why is organic chemistry still called a weed out course? Um, and we all accept that. So when I wrote Kids Chemical Solutions and the comic books in Kids Chemical Solutions, I wrote them from the standpoint of of what I've observed for 30 years and how I can get kids to be successful when they get to college. So I worked backwards. Um, what I see present in today's market is a lot of topical chemistry, like um, environmental chemistry or the chemistry of water. And there's, there's single, it would, it would be like in a music curriculum that they only taught middle C, like a whole book on middle C that doesn't give you an orchestra, right? Okay. It's not scaffolded. So what I did is I took the learning objectives needed to be successful in college and scaffolded them into a series of 10 comic books so that if they're read in sequence, the outcome and what a parent can expect is that their child will have mastery of college level chemistry concepts and be successful. So it's a big difference. And, and I know it's really hard to discern between my comic books, which are, you know, there's there's a big blue ox that looks funny on the cover. Like they, it, it doesn't look like they're going to have the, the level, the robustness and the effectiveness that they do because of the way, the fun way I presented it. 
So, um, and that was on purpose because I want to engage kids. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's really important to differentiate between the approach I took in developing it and what I'm seeing out there is um, just like a topic. It's not really a curriculum. There might be, um, I don't know, the chemistry of cooking. And that's just like one thing. And it's not scaffolded to to get to anywhere. Does does that help answer your question? Yeah, it definitely does because um, for two things, I think that it's important. I've worked with um, and around and with, because I do marketing as well, um, education brands for a while when it comes to K through 12 students. And one thing I do notice is um, as adults, you know, whether you're a parent or an educator, it can be easy, even if you're an educator, to gravitate towards things that excite you or that make sense to you as an adult. Um, and I think like what you're saying, it's important for us to remember, especially since you are a researcher, um, Dr. Kelly, you have put a lot of like proven statistical data and effort into this. It's important for us to remember that what might appeal to us as adults and seem effective probably isn't the same thing that is going to appeal to a child and be effective, especially when we're talking about a child's development. You know, there's a lot that goes into that, a lot, a lot of learning, a lot of things that even us as adults don't understand. Um, but when you have something that's well-researched, you know, and, and science-backed like your, um, like your series is, I think that really opens up a, a new um, opportunity for us as adults in, in the educational space to try something new, to test it out on our own, you know, our own kids and on our own communities. I mean, in our own schools to see, you know, let's see if this thing really does um, make a difference. And I think that's very important. Um, And there was a second point that you made that I thought was really important. Um, Oh, yes, as far as scaffolding it down from like what you know on the college level to what um, kids may need to learn right now. I'm wondering, like, do you think that, um, how do I even phrase this question? Do you think that understanding chemistry from ages six to 10 improves the way that a child lives their life in general, like from childhood to college age? Because I'm wondering, like, you know, if if at age six or seven, you understand how chemistry works, you know, chemistry is kind of symbolic of how all of life works. Do you think when those neural pathways are open that it kind of like gives, um, kids a new way to think about the world around them and not just, you know, that condensed subject of like these things only apply when I'm talking about chemistry. That's such an exciting thought, Mariah. As you were saying that, like, I don't know, we don't, you know, and, and so I would have to do a longitudinal study perhaps um, on our learners who are just beginning, you know, with the comic books and, and, and track that um, because I don't know the answer to that. My hope is, Yes, and and I really hope that we rebrand chemistry. Um, when we listen to uh, different podcasts or media or whatever, um, a lot of times um, I'll hear, "Well, you know, buy this tooth because it doesn't have these chemicals, or buy this sunscreen because it doesn't have chemicals," and it makes chemistry and chemicals sound so sinister. And those poor little molecules didn't do anything wrong to any of us, you know. And I like a, a more loving, kind understanding about the molecules that are present in this world 
as, as, you know, that we coexist with, as opposed to this, you know, sinister evil being that is trying <laughs> to kill us. Now, certainly sure. there's, there's toxicity out there and I get that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, car carbon dioxide has good things and bad things. And just like people have good things and bad things. So I think um, a better understanding of our world and, and not um, blindly labeling molecules as bad chemicals um, or an understanding that if you're saying there are no chemicals in there, that, that that's not a correct statement <laughs> by any stretch of the imaginations. Yeah. You know, uh, according to my definition of chemicals, you, you could say, you know, the levels of molecules in here aren't exceeding the toxic levels allowed. That's a more correct statement. So I, I would hope our next generation um, would learn to um, appreciate and coexist and really get to know what what our world is like at a molecular level and I think that's good the outcomes from that are going to be phenomenal in curing diseases and you know perhaps saving global warming and all kinds of things if if we embrace it instead of push it aside for the smart people and think they're bad yeah yeah that makes so much sense and I'm wondering um, and you kind of answered this already, but I just would love to know, you have so much to offer, if you have any additional thoughts on what is the world taking too long to realize about the way that we educate children and how are you changing, using your life to change that? I think we're not capitalizing on their imagination enough and 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 how bright they are. And when I realized that you know, nine-year-olds could learn college-level concepts, I realized that they should be taught at that age. It's not, they're not college-level concepts, nor are they nine-year-old concepts. I think what I think the world is not realizing is that learning is learning, right? Whenever you start, there really is no, I mean, there's some age levels for reading, I get that, um, and some a little bit for math, but in general, our, our kids are so bright and they're sponges. And if we can give them, just like we give them good nourishment, if we can nourish them with some really great fundamentals um, so that they have the ability to grow from those fundamentals, that would be awesome. So I, I would just hope that everybody's a little bit more open to robust learning at earlier ages. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Learning is learning, robust learning at earlier ages, because they really can they really can take it. We all see the level of energy <laughs> that a five-year-old or an eight-year-old or an 11-year-old has. And like that energy doesn't stop when it comes to what they can absorb and learn and experiment with. So it really makes sense to put that in them at an early age, as many of us agree who do listen to this podcast. We totally agree. Um, and for those who are listening to this for the first time, I hope that um, you know this has sparked a point of interest for you on what children are capable of doing and learning from an early age. Because like you said, learning is learning. When you get the information, you get the information. Why not offer it to a child when they're at their most um, flexible as far as what they're willing to absorb, accept, and carry with them throughout life? Um, and so, Dr. Kelly, I'm wondering for anyone who wants to um, keep up with kids' chemical solutions, keep up with what you're doing, and purchase the series, how can they go about doing that? Great. Yeah. Um, our website has a lot of information, um, including the uh, video that you um, referenced, as well as um, podcasts and um, different news articles that in, in our research. So you can learn more about the process of Kids Chemical Solutions. And our website is um, kids, K-I-D-S, 
chemicalsolutionsplural.com. So kidschemicalsolutions.com. And there's an order button on there. And in addition to the comic books, I want to um, let parents um, and teachers know that there are card games, there's Atomic Bingo, there's Periodic Table Twister, there's a reading guide, there's recipes. So you will go in the kitchen and make some, you know, Granny E's famous chocolate chip cookies and understand why we put salt in chocolate chip cookies and it doesn't seem like something would something sweet. Um, and so there's all kinds of, there's history in there. Um, when I piloted this in a fourth grade classroom, it took me about a month to get through each comic book. So it's not just the comic book that you would put on your lap and read in the backseat of the car and be done with. Um, you can certainly do that, but there's enough dense material in there um, for at least a month's worth of learning, whether it's at home or in a classroom setting. Got you. Oh, and I'm, I'm on the website now. I'm wondering, you have a meet the characters page. Do these same characters feature throughout each book? Like, is it you, you kids keep meeting them throughout each part of the series? Is that what happens? Yeah, most of the characters, especially Poppy Ray and Granny Eve and MC. So um, the, the series itself is called the MC Detective Agency. Okay. And the the kids are... are um, become detectives and have to solve these mysteries. So each comic book is called a file, like a case file. So the um, file one is the case of the deadly dials. And so they're all the case of something. And so um, the four main characters, um, and if our our um, audience is listening, three of the four are, are female-based characters. So I, di I did put a little nod to, <laughs> to getting girls and STEM in there oh, we love as it. well. <laughs> We absolutely love it. Um, well, thank you so much. Um, I'm on here, you know, parents, educators, whoever's listening on the website. There's also a section where you can listen to additional podcasts that Dr. Kelly has been on. If this has piqued your interest and you want to hear even more, um, you know, there's just such a plethora of knowledge and resources on this website, kidschemicalsolutions.com. Um, Dr. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for like, I don't dedicating your life towards, <laughs> you know, the field of chemistry and then coming out after 30 years of doing that and saying, hey, I'm going to make something, create something that is needed, you know, that's going to help improve the world, especially like you said, a lot of underrepresented students really aren't getting access to affordable um, and parents aren't getting access to affordable resources that are going to help their children compete, not only now, but in the future. Because like you and I were discussing previously, you know, it, it can be just so disappointing to a, a child thinking that their whole life they would get in the proper education when it comes to STEM and chemistry, get it, you know, really be in the, for some people, especially first generation college students, especially in communities of color, a lot can be riding on that child's back or that young person's back. Getting to college, you're gonna be the first doctor and then you can't pass this one class. <laughs> yeah. You know, you have to like completely throw away your dreams of being, you know, a doctor or physician because you can't pass organic chemistry. Like, you know, we hate it. It's it sucks to have to think about stuff like that, but it's devastating. And so thank you for creating this, making sure that it's accessible to to everybody. And um, do you have anything else that you want to say before we wrap up? No, you just nailed it in that last part. That's my huge why is yeah, one course should not prohibit someone from following their dreams. Yes, absolutely. It should not. So 
Guys, make sure you grab the series. If you don't have kids, make sure you introduce the series to somebody else. And Dr. Kelly, I hope that you have a wonderful day. Thanks, Ryan. You too. Thank you. So what'd you think? How will you take what you learned today on the Ed Gap Evolution podcast to make sure that more children and families know that they have more options for building a magnificent future? If you like what you heard and want to get notified when the next episode goes live, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll notify you when the next episode is out. Don't forget to check the show notes where I share information on today's guests and yes, we do have a website. You can always pop in on us at www.eggapevolution.com. Again, I'm Mariah Phillips, and I leave you with this. Embrace the evolution, y'all.